Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Okay, in fact, I'm going to start with you, Herman, because you've raised a topic that we'd all forgotten happened this year. And that is the extraordinary feat that was the burning down of Parliament. I actually had to check whether mm. it was this year or whether I missed it sort of that was, was last year or, or possibly a hallucination. So when I found out it was actually, you know, 2022, it struck me as something quite um, quite ridiculous, quite spectacularly ridiculous in the sense that the building and the destruction of Parliament uh, buildings the world over are historic events on which the tides of history change. You've got the burning down of, of the Houses of Parliament in London, you've got the erection of Westminster Palace, you've got the uh, attempts to by the British to burn down the White House and you know it, it, it's just that you've got Guy Fawkes trying to blow up Parliament and all of these become historic events. Um, and, and they change the trajectories of events and history and politics. But in South Africa, the bar for incompetence that you have to clear to stand out above the fray is so high that in South Africa, when Parliament turns down, it doesn't even change the trajectory of the minister responsible for the fire extinguishers not working. So I thought it was such a surreal moment. And then there was this weird, bizarre idea of pinning it on some arsonist. And this arsonist might have been, you know, working with whichever interests. And I just think the, the, the sort of beauty of it is that South Africans probably see Parliament, you know, in its wrecked state as pretty much as functional as it was before the whole place had to be evacuated and burned to the ground. That is the dim view South Africans have of politics and our constitutional institutions, that the place could literally be eradicated by disaster. And we would go, oh, well, you know, just another day. Nick, isn't it the case of the uh, not attributing to malice what you could simply attribute to incompetence? And, uh, for example, having the uh, fire doors in the building held, you know, sort of clipped back, held open, so that if a fire swept through, they wouldn't be stopped at a door, they would, it would be swept through, it would go down whatever corridors got the most oxygen in it. I had exactly yeah. the same feeling as, as Herman about this, which is, it's sort of just kind of passed me by when we were talking before the show about, you know, what we were going to discuss about the craziest things that happened this year. I completely forgot about this. <laughs> it just disappeared from my mind. Um, and that despite the fact that I have relatives who work in Parliament and are no longer able to to work there. They've changed their place of work because of this. And yet it just sort of passed by. And we had this funny story of, OK, maybe there was this sort of homeless person who may have uh, committed the arson and he was going to be defended in court, I think, by Dalian Porfu. And then the story sort of just faded into the distance and everyone forgot about it. And now it's almost become completely unmemorable that all of our parliamentarians are in the Cape Town City Hall, I believe, mm. uh, uh, doing their parliamentary things, because it's also caused us all to to remain on, um, Parliament has remained half on Zoom, which is mm. which is kind of interesting uh, because of the burning down of Parliament. I think we must be one of the few parliaments but in the world the, that's still on Zoom. 
on the question of, you know, the, the fire doors being open, I think it's very much on brand that Parliament will let in any old disaster. And they do, and they have, and many of whom we will we will talk about shortly. And but fact, you know what we needed, yeah. Sarah? We needed yeah. a fire pool. Zuma was right. He, did. he was he right, ladies and gentlemen. We, he tried to warn us. We did not listen. Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. No, 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 no this, 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 this is true. I think they should probably look at, you know, try, instead of trying to use probably non-existent insurance to rebuild, sell it to the private sector and, you know, they'll turn it into a classy hotel precinct or something, you know, and let them stay in the city hall or perhaps even more exciting, come up to Pretoria. Oh, you know, I wouldn't wish it on you, Herman, but, you know. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. We've, 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 we've got enough here to, to cope with as it is, but I do sort of like the idea of this session of Parliament was brought to you by Discovery Health. So far up the president's colonic channel that Adrian Gore has to whisper his own ideas back to him. We weren't going to discuss the NHI because there's nothing funny about it. Uh, but I will I will look at the areas to, sort of under the control of another member of parliament, um, transport. And uh, perhaps we can start looking at the notorious, infamous, extraordinary ambulance scooters and donkey carts. Uh, Nicholas? What do you see? What do you say as, as modes of transport to get around this benighted country? So this this story it came fairly late in the year. So this is one I do actually remember quite well, and that is uh, I, I think it was the sort of quintessential moment at which you know it became clear that some of our government has just given up completely. <laughs> so what happened was this very small rural area in uh, northwest province was going to be granted by the northwest government a number of donkey carts. Uh, to transport people around. So on one level, it was sort of a bit of a transparent uh, a, a bribe to 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 win over support in this area, I think. But the other thing was the ridiculous excuses that the government sort of gave for uh, why they were giving these donkey carts. They said, well, you know, look, the roads there have never either been built in the first place or are just, you know, have, have become so unusable that people um, can't drive properly. So people there can't get ambulances. So we're going to give them donkey carts and those people will then be able to take the elderly to get pension money and transport the sick to clinics or to hospitals uh, in, in cases of, of, of emergency. Um, this is not the fourth industrial revolution. This is not even the first industrial revolution. <laughs> it's taking the country back to, to, feudal to, 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 to feudal times. So it's depressing on that level. But what was even more ridiculous about the story was that it emerged very quickly that these donkey carts were firstly being purchased at extraordinarily inflated prices. I think uh, some estimates put them at about twice as expensive as they should have been. And then once they were delivered, most of them appear to have been broken on the first day, which is <laughs> just, you cannot imagine a greater disaster. It's just, this, the, it's so, it was pathetic. That's what it was. It was sort of the government going, look, we're never going to make the roads good or fix the ambulance service or anything. So here's some donkey carts and we'll make some money for ourselves on the side, I suspect. Anyway, uh, just a bad show all around. And I think one of the one of the most silly stories has come out of South Africa in 2022. 
Uh, Herman, how do you feel about uh, being schlepped to hospital on a motor scooter as you're having your heart attack? Well, the, the thing is, the, the, the donkey cart might provide better health care than the hospital that it has as destination if That's it's a public true. hospital. So, I mean, at least you, you have a chance of life, it seems, even if it is only the donkey living. But what what is, I think, spectacularly illuminating here is when one thinks of, you know, patronage networks and scooping a bit off the cash uh, at the top level, at every level of government business, a bit of tender, tender corruption here and there, one thinks of arms deals and building contracts and software design systems for government and sort of, you know, you, you think big scale. And what I take away from this is my deep, deep admiration for the ANC's ability to look so far ahead at state collapse under its own responsibility that it can have vested donkey interests in the sense that somewhere there's a cader who benefited from the purchase of donkey carts. Now, I, who woke up in South Africa in the 21st century thinking, you know what will be the next best thing that I can use to swindle a bit of taxpayers' money in my direction? The donkey business. I mean, you know, uh, farriers are coming back with a bang. Pretty soon, we're going to have horseshoes and donkey shoes, and all. I mean, it 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 really pushes the bounds of of being taken seriously as a country way beyond seriousness, um, and and just to a point where if if you can even manage to embarrass yourself further than just you know giving poor people donkey carts and thinking they would somehow appreciate it. There's also the question of the donkey cards being massively inflated in price and someone making a government buck with the purchase of donkey cards. And I think somewhere there was an Afrikaans language misunderstanding because in Afrikaans, if we say thank you very much, we say buy a donkey. And I think someone just heard buy a donkey and that became sort of <laughs> the 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 next arms deal, um, and it 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 really it illustrates the level at by you know where we yeah. just can't take these people in power seriously anymore. But but you see, I, I mean, what's fascinating about this? First of all, it goes to the point that it shows that there is nothing that cannot be the basis of patronage in this country. I mean, you know, next thing they'll be taking, selling with a middleman, a kid's sandwich, a peanut butter sandwiches in, in the schoolyard. Or chastity belts. Let's go full middle <laughs> well, ages. That, yeah. that, I, don't, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's going to swing. But it, it, it's the fact that we've come from, from arms deals to donkey carts and ambulance scooters. Nicholas, is there anything, any further we can fall? Not to jump the gun, but thinking of uh, another transport related thing here we of course have had troubles at the transport departments at some of the transport departments themselves particularly the passenger rail service uh, which this year seems to have discovered that it had an enormous number it was haunted because it had an enormous number of ghost employees and uh, i'm not sure of the final number they don't seem to have been able to work it out yet uh, but they they first realized that they may have a problem when they decided not to pay, I think, in the early stages of this year, uh, that they flagged a certain number of accounts as being suspicious of their own employees and decided not to pay them and see if anyone complained. And despite <laughs> not paying several thousand people, 
Not a single one of them complained, suggesting that they were all ghost accounts. <laughs> it then got worse because they had to then call in, of course, an auditor to to find out, you know, what was going on. And the auditor uh, had to organize, I think, a session where people would show up physically to a specific location at a time in order to keep their job. And something like 1,700 employees didn't show up. And a further couple hundred were uh, had to be fired because they had serious criminal records or, or other major issues like that. And it's just, it led to, to what's his, uh, his face, uh, Fakile Balula, who's the minister, who spoke about this entire issue as though he were an opposition MP. Because... He kept talking about, you see, look at the mess we have in Prasa. It's just such a disaster. Prasa is such a mess. And you kind of think to yourself, but Fakila, this is your department. <laughs> You're supposed to be fixing it. <laughs> well, I, I, think, uh, I think to some extent, all you have to do is say Fakila and Balula, and everything is understood. Herman, do we also have ghost railways, ghost uh, trains, ghost ports? Because nothing seems to, yes. nothing seems to be happening. Well, in the sense that they, they, they might be, you know, related to the undead in the sense that they are bloody scary. And, and I do think you have fallen very far as a country if part of your forensic investigation into the labor employed by your own government needs sort of a level of communing with the dead or necromancy to determine the accuracy of your audit reports. It, um, it, it does take, take, you know, labor relations to a whole new low, because I do think it is unfair to expect a dead person to be productive. But then again, if you're Fikile and Belula, your standards weren't high to begin with. But you know, the biggest problem with, uh, with these ghost workers, especially when it comes to, to, um, to the rail infrastructure of our country, and uh, Nick Lorimer is going to hate me for this, but the setup is worth it, if only for the groan I will hear. The problem with ghost workers in Prasa is that ultimately they leave no tracks. <laughs> <laughs> and they have left no tracks. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, all that confuses me about this is how no one could notice for so long. I mean, presumably this has been going on for at least years. Uh, and unless I and um, maybe all of the managers were in on it, although I doubt that, I suspect there were probably some who just sort of said, oh, this is strange. I've never seen this person around at the office. Yeah, I mean, when, when, when at the office, if we haven't heard from a colleague for a while, we sort of assume that, well, if it's Gabriel, he's probably, you know, somewhere in, in, in Africa organizing a coup accidentally. But if it's any of our other colleagues, we sort of, check up on them. It must have been quite disconcerting for Prasa. You know, that, that week's staff newsletter must have contained a hell of a lot of obituaries because they just, oh, like, what do you mean, Steve? He's dead? And I always liked Steve. Yeah, well, Steve has gone, I was going to say gone to the Great Railway train in the sky, but um, it may not be there either. Herman, we know that our at this stage that our president of nearly five years has uh, trouble he's not a decision maker but he couldn't even decide not to resign yes i, I must say that uh, that was when everyone was going oh my word so is going to resign the the sort of key thing that that went missing was exactly what you just mentioned is that for him to resign it would require him to make a decision and i think the last decision Cyril Ramaphosa made that i was aware of note was in line of ah oh, yeah well let's 
if I want to be president, let me at least, you know, have David Mabuza on the inside of the tent murdering out. And I yes, think exactly. the sort of the farce, the ridiculous stories that you hear from inside that this is the second time Ramaphosa came close to resigning. Um, a few months ago, he apparently had had enough. He's been spending his time on what's it online cattle auctions and all those sorts of things. It it just paints what would be you know parodical uh, for for a, a, a 1960s post decolonial liberation African leader of you know incompetence being so vast that even his resignation was bungled. Nick. Um... What's most what's most amusing, I think, about Ramaphosa's uh, "I'm going to resign, no wait, I'm not going to resign" was that when it happened, there was sort of this discussion of there being a national crisis that we're kind of in 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 a moment of of extreme national disaster. I saw there were you know senior clergy people putting out statements saying we need this. The opposition was calling for an early election to prevent the sort of total collapse and to anarchy of the country. Cyril Ramaphosa was uh, one of the major news stations saying uh, very likely to resign. And then suddenly he decided not to. And it all kind of turned into, oh, well, what are you talking about? There's nothing to worry about. Come on. Um, and it all just turned into, oh, that? Oh, that's old news. Let's not worry about that anymore. There's been this sort of very bizarre attempt by the president's uh, uh, circle to just sort of brush the whole thing under the rug and pretend like, you know, we didn't have this moment of national crisis. Uh, it's very bizarre. It's sort of almost assuming like we're all goldfish and don't have very good memories. No, I mean, our memories are longer than three seconds. Sorry, I'm going to change tack just to get us through as, as many topics as we can. But um, I did almost think Germany's energy, Germany's energy policy merited some attention, Herman. I mean, you get, you get into bed with a dictatorship, you make yourself predominantly reliant on their gas. They invade a country, the gas gets switched off, and suddenly you're buying nuclear power from the French and dirty coal from the, Polo, from, the, from the Poles. And the best is you are paying the third world not to use coal. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I must say that the, the, the country of Merkel collapsed rather swiftly. I mean, this was just a few blinks ago. Um, Germany was... Angela Merkel was the the leader of the free world, don't you remember? You know, Donald Trump was elected, and 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 I I, I distinctly remember people saying, "Our oh, Germany is now the leader of the free world. You can't take America seriously anymore." Um, you, I mean, France being France, um, you, you can't take anything but their patisserie and their lingerie seriously, um, and that's I think what most of their policies center around. I'm not an expert, but then you have the clownish situation of Germany trying to unite the European Union against Russia while trying to rely on the grace and favor of Russian pipelines to save them from you know, Arctic temperatures. It's sort of like, and let me just grab an example out of the ether, it is sort of like trying to attract investors. So Germany doing what it did is sort of like a hypothetical Southern African nation seeking to attract foreign investment, but then adopting a policy program that says anything you invest in this country might be liable to us taking it. That's the sort of level where you try to invite a guest into your front door and you punch him in the face while offering him a scone. 
um, and then expecting, oh, well, you know, um, the, the, these, these odd social uh, graces of the Germans. I must say, it is, it, it, Europe is, 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 is a bizarre place where achievement is something you pay museum entry fees to go experience, where the trains run on time, but the governments run on nostalgia. It yeah. is a fascinating situation to see how far Germany specifically, the French and the EU as a whole have fallen from what, you know, in recent-ish memory was the dominant values, normative, formational center of the world. It yeah. just add very briefly, the incoherence doesn't yeah. stop there because having been burned by buying lots of energy from one dictatorship seems like the eu's new strategy is to buy from azerbaijan and qatar who are both shall we say not very democratic countries no i mean qatar has the distinction of being sort of the world's supplier of cash terrorist organizations um but you know that that is how things are we're not the only completely idiotic uh, government in the world clearly but sarah um you call it think sepp blatter calls it an opportunity Robert Poser gave a speech recently where he was addressing a constituency somewhere. I can't now remember where it was, but he promised, Herman, he promised that he would not send Mickey Mouse people to municipality. What do you make of that? Yeah, well, I I, I, I think that, that's fair enough because uh, if, if memory serves, Mickey Mouse could at least drive a steamboat willy. And he won't send people uh, who can, you know, competently move in two dimensions entertain and make billions for a corporation or at least some sort of interest somewhere. No, he won't send Mickey Mouse people. He will send goofy people, you know, people who are barking, uh, people who sort of see corruption and go, it's a disastrous situation when the president is trying to make himself look good by comparing the people he won't send to a municipality to a cartoon character that outmatches him in competence. Nick, is there any other part of Disneyland that uh, you think would uh, uh, should should leave the employer of our municipalities? Well, I'm rather glad that this decision has been taken. Uh, one would think, though, that you should have never have sent Mickey Mouse people <laughs> to municipalities. <laughs> That's an uh, election-winning strategy right there, Nick. It's, we will no longer I, send I, I, idiots to run I, government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, I have visions of big ears. I don't know. Our bad. Our bad. bad. We sent the idiots in the first place. No one could have warned us that it would end badly. <laughs> Nick, let's uh, talking of, of not too intelligent ministers. Um, how do you feel about Gwedi Mantashi's accusation that uh, ESCOM is not doing enough to stop st stage six load shedding? In fact, worse than that, it is attempting to overthrow the state. I mean... Paranoia is not a new thing to our, our, our ruling party. They really do like to uh, occasionally accuse people of working for the CIA or being plotting to overthrow the government when there's really no such thing. But, you know, if if ESCOM is responsible through negligence of undermining the state and wishing to overthrow the government, Wedem um, Matasha may have to look in the mirror because I suspect that uh, he may also be guilty of similar crimes, perhaps not on purpose, but if incompetence is enough to get you accused of treason, uh, then there's an awful lot of cabinet ministers who should be looking in the mirror. Well, I, 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 for, for greater sake, I just, I just hope he finds a, a mirror large enough. The, the real situation here that, that, that 
Nick touches on is the paranoia of the ANC. It is it is really funny. It is genuinely funny. I I, I once spoke to I think it was an MP who who served in in one of the first two or three terms of of the post ninety four Parliament, when amidst the the purchasing of a nuclear submarine or whatever you know advanced. Uh, Soviet-style weaponry we, we we could lay our hands on. An opposition MP asked in a committee meeting, why are we spending billions on, you know, nuclear-grade military technology? And the very serious answer, the ANC came back and said, just look at Afghanistan and Iraq. Bush can invade. It is it <laughs> at that point, you know, at that point you start rooting for the plague. Yeah. <laughs> and and this yeah, and this was in the, the what mid two thousands when things were much less wacky than they are now. Yes, I mean that was the golden era of the ANC. I mean <laughs> now now they, they, they are much more concerned. Yeah. It's not Bush that's going to invade, it's Andre de Reiter and Jan Weberholzer. But to be fair, that does sound like the start of a you know oh. a, a historical fiction novel about Putatswana. Yeah, no, doesn't it, Jeff? Well, we have not been able to go through our list completely. Uh, our time has ru- run out, but I'm going to perhaps put forward the last extraordinary thing. And it could only, it's overseas story, it could only have come from the United Nations. And that is to say that the United Nations has decided to hold a conference on the Israel-Palestine conflict, which they do every year. But this year it will be in Moscow. It's not confined to us. And uh, all I can say is thank you very much, guys, for coming on and, uh, and, and sharing this lunacy, if I can put it, for want of a better expression, with me. Thank you so much. We laugh because Thanks, we Sarah. cannot cry.